0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Startup Hustle Middle East. Today we have Marwan Abdul Aziz with us. He is the co-founder of UREAD, which is the region's largest freelancer platform where you can connect with different kinds of freelancers and hire them an hourly or a project long basis. So uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Welcome Marwan to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Marwan, if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Uread and how
1: it works. Sure. So, um, actually, previously, like a couple of months ago, we used to pronounce it Uread. uh, But we realized that that was a major, major issue when it comes to how people read it. Uh, but we were surprised because everyone was calling it Uber, not Uber. But we ended up changing actually how we pronounce it and in, uh, in all of our ads and all of our communication to read Thank you for for doing that right. Uh, so uh, Uread.com actually is like you said a freelancers marketplace. Uh, surprisingly, Uread started back in 2017, um, and it started as an internal project um, in a different company called Terjama, which is the largest language service provider. And uh, the reason they started this company was that they had more demand that they can fulfill. Uh, And back in 2017, the region wasn't really acquainted to the use of uh, freelancers or contractors for that matter. So they basically started this internal department um, and built like a small form and a website to source translators because they had a huge amount of demand, huge amount of language players that they need to deal with, and they definitely couldn't hire you know, hundreds of people. So they decided at that stage, you know what, let's build uh, something and have our own supply and then uh, use this supply to fulfill all the unmet demand that we have in the market. Uh, fast forward two years down the line, they found that to be an extremely effective strategy to manage their bottom line. Right? They were able to... Uh, fulfill hundreds of, of requests uh, on a weekly and a monthly basis, uh, work with hundreds and hundreds of clients across the region, and have basically um, an unmatched access to talent. Uh, so they decided to take it up a notch. Um, and by that time, I was part of the Tarjama team. So I decided to quit uh, Tarjama completely, and I spun off uh, with co-founder, uh, my co-founder, Akan Hassan. We spun off Murid completely as a separate company. Um, and our mandate was whatever works for translation copywriting, we need to replicate it for other uh, service verticals. Because I started back in, in January working on this full-time, um, talked to many, many different clients uh, that we have, whether in e-commerce, insurance, um, um, startups, and so on. And we found that they are looking for a more comprehensive set of services. They're not looking exclusively for let's say translation or writing, no, they want the full thing. If they have a document, they want it designed, translated, edited, you know, and even written into HTML. Um, so we decided to open up for more verticals. And at that time, I had a very close relationship with uh, the guys at Nubbish. Um So we decided to consolidate. Uh, and, and that was a major driver for us to, uh, uh, to access all those verticals, Nubbish is the oldest freelance marketplace um, they've been in the region forever and they have an amazing set of talents uh, on board they have over one hundred and twenty thousand users um, on their platform so uh, consolidation made sense because we had uh, access to uh, many enterprise clients that were craving this kind of service and we have all the systems and the um, and the processes in place to be able to vet and select uh, the right talent for customers, and they had an amazing set of talent. So, we combined those both uh, capabilities and we launched, uh, I think, back in, in, in August, we, we launched very recently all of our uh, new verticals, including like design, development, software engineering, all of its uh, kind, even financial services, accounting, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so far, we had tremendous success. We've, we're seeing Um, A huge spike in in applications more freelancers they want to join because they feel like this became a much bigger force than what it used to be Uh, because all of those smaller marketplaces existed for a very long time in the Middle East but there was no clear winner and by the way until now there is no clear winner we're still going at it and I think we'll never stop um, uh, improving Mm -hmm. Um, and they started to feel like there is more opportunity since COVID hit, uh, a lot of people lost their jobs, a lot of people were looking for alternate uh, sources because of underemployment. Like some people already had jobs, but not enough hours or enough pay to um, uh, you know, support themselves. So we're seeing a lot of people moving towards this direction, and I think it came uh, in the perfect time. So that is like a, a more broad uh, point of view. I'm happy to delve more into the details on how we reach this point.
0: Okay. So, uh... So what is your background? Um, I see that you're into digital strategy, digital marketing, uh, that's your background. So uh, yeah. could you give, give us a little bit of uh, your history,
1: your background? So, sure, uh, and I've been myself, I've been um, fascinated with anything related to digital since a very young age. Uh, funny enough, I did not study anything remotely related to digital. I studied actually supply chain operations management and stuff like this. Um, And then back in college, I started developing this, you know, interest for uh, technology and digital and stuff like that. And I started working a lot of like side gigs, funny enough, freelance work uh, related to like web design, writing like simple HTML websites and stuff like this. And then by the time I graduated college, I moved to Saudi Arabia um, and I started working as a digital designer and a lot of people confuse this because digital designers they're not actual design they're not graphic designers uh, this mm-hmm. job requires a lot of understanding of how users behave online and then you design interfaces that that basically fits this narrative and mm-hmm. and back i think back in 2010 uh, in saudi arabia there wasn't a concept called ux ui that that actually never Uh, I never came across this term uh, at that time. And I was working with the really major organizations uh, in Saudi from government to private sector on, uh, you know, evolving the digital touch points. Mm -hmm. Um, And then later on, I moved to uh, a VC um, that is a Jordan-based VC. And my job was in Saudi Arabia. And they had um, a huge uh, portfolio companies uh, that I helped them with the digital strategy, UX, UI. Um, and all of that stuff and then um, uh, I spent around two two and a half years of this company and um, I met such amazing people in the industry that was my first uh, tried in let's say entrepreneurship um, and and this role felt very uh, related to entrepreneurship uh, and I'll come back to this point later mm-hmm. um, and then I moved to a global agency uh, based out of Dubai I worked on um, a big Saudi-based uh, telecom company for me- for two years almost. Uh, but I helped them a lot in uh, things related to dig- digital strategy, customer acquisition, communication. So I touched upon how to you know get to a customer generally. That that was the the big the biggest mandate: how to reach customer, uh, convince them of your brand, get them to do a certain transaction. Um, and that was a big inspiration for me at UED as well. Um, I- yeah go ahead
0: yeah that seems like a great set of skills for any startup founder to have uh, yeah. and a good set of experience as well and i'm here looking at your site right now at Uread and you can tell the background the ux is super clean uh, you know mission statements right up there it's very easy to understand what the site's about and uh, look at all the different um, you know freelancers you have on your site look at their background. so good job on the UREAD experience.
1: Yes. So uh, Uh, We actually have an amazing team, just as a disclaimer. So in case any of my team uh, is listening to this, this is not me designing this. We have an amazing design team uh, that that worked on this. And they will continue always to improve the design. The, The beauty of the way we work at UREAD is that we never actually stop improving. We built the company on this experimentation mindset. So whenever we finish something, we start in the second iteration right away. And I guess this is something that a lot of startups in the Middle East started uh, to adapt. Like comp- huge companies like Amazon and Microsoft and Apple, they thrive on, on experimentation. And we try to implement that in, a, in our small uh, way, basically. So whenever okay. we finish like a landing page, we run it through several tests. We get people to give us feedback on it. And we immediately start you know, looking at the second and third and a fourth iteration and as, as a user of you you're going to get to see the design improving uh, over time great uh
0: so i want to talk to you a little bit about building a marketplace now um you know as as most people know a marketplace is connecting two sets of people in your case as freelancers and maybe entrepreneurs or people who have a short-term requirement so, um, usually it's like a chicken or egg situation. So, how did you start and how were you able to get all these freelancers to register on your site and uh, be part of your network?
1: So, see, the chicken or egg problem for our case in specific is uh, sold pretty much. It's not uh, chicken or egg. We know for a fact that you need supply first on a freelance marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, because employers um, are very tricky to, to recruit and get them to use your website. And they're constantly skeptical of what kind of talent do you have, uh, the qualities you do, the vetting process. So we skipped all of this ahead by making sure that we have really, really amazing talent. So when we bring in the customer, we know for a fact that we can lock them. One tool that we use to our advantage, and I guess this is not available to all types of marketplaces, was enterprise clients, Mm -hmm. um, because we have a lot of them. And and the way we do it is that when we get like a major, major project with, let's say, an e-commerce player or a data company that wants to hire hundreds of freelancers at a time, what we do is that we do mass recruitment to freelancers for this particular client. Um, and we get them, you know, basically on the platform uh, and we vet them and make sure that they're good uh, and they can fulfill those promises that they give to employers. Later on, they stick to the platform. They don't leave after the project ends. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? That was a great driver for us because practically the client immediately tests and engages this uh, with this freelancer. And at the same time, we get the the uh, the benefit of investing in the recruitment process by making sure that those people are going to be repeated customers those freelancers are mm-hmm. going to come back apply for more jobs and try to secure um, uh, more projects for themselves um, another thing that we um, started doing recently you know what since the beginning of the year we tried everything right so mm-hmm. we tried the digital marketing uh, to go. And you know, run ads on on Facebook or Google, and uh, try to get freelancers to sign up. Uh, we tried the private messaging route, uh, where we go for very high value uh, talent and try to recruit them manually. Mm-hmm. Um, and last but not least, we tried communities, and this has been uh, a proven effective method. What we do now is that instead of you know splashing money on digital marketing and trying to spend. Uh, you know, as much as we can to get as big number as we can. Uh, we now, Facebook has this amazing feature, which is Facebook groups, right? Yes. So <laughs> if you are a web developer um, and you're invested in your job somehow, even if you're, you're a freelancer, you want to connect with uh, people who are like-minded, right? So we went to those Facebook groups and we started sponsoring them. So we found, uh, let's say, a Facebook group specifically for Fluttered, developers which is a very Mm -hmm. new language it's two year old Mm -hmm. and a lot of clients are asking for it so we went for the biggest flutter group and we sponsored them right we have their uh, cover photo sponsored by us we post constantly uh, content over them and we encourage customers from the other side through promo codes to come and work with those uh, developers right okay this this approach might be more exhausting because you need to go through hundreds of groups and talk to you know the the founders of those groups and 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 manage expectations and make sure that the content you post they post about you is, is accurate and correct. But the yield is is amazing. Like if yeah. you look at the cost per acquisition um, uh, for like Facebook ads, yes, you might get hundreds of applications, but how how precise your targeting can be, how accurate. And how um, how, how do you measure the quality of, of the people that applies, right? Yeah. But when we go to those communities, we know for a fact that the investment we're putting is number one long term because all of those flutter developers that are on the group will know about you. Yeah. And whenever they need, they have the need to go to a freelance marketplace. Uh, you'll be their pick. You know, you'll be their choice because sure. The the beauty of other marketplaces like let's say Airbnb. is that you might have this need constantly, right? I need to book a room or I need to buy something from an e-commerce marketplace or or, or I need to order food, right? Mm -hmm. But for freelance marketplaces, for the employer side, you need to be constantly top of mind. I need to be always reminding them about myself. So whenever they have a need for a freelancer, they come to us. And I need to sell this dream to the freelancer as well. I need to ask them to come on board and spend, you know... um, um, several hours building their profile, uploading their portfolio. In some cases, take some tests to validate their skills. So on the freelancer side, they need to put in some sort of an investment before they can start transacting on the marketplace. So we solve that through this, you know, um, uh, tight communication with them. We have an amazing customer service team that constantly talks to those freelancers. So Mm -hmm. instead of investing in just marketing, we invest in the experience itself.
0: That's a great tip. Um, I've heard that from a couple of different entrepreneurs. Facebook groups is a great resource to like get into a particular niche industry or a niche topic and um, and uh, you know to promote your business. But you have to be like smart about how you promote yourself because otherwise, um, you
1: know. You no, know, you- we did it in the most direct way possible. Um, if you've ever been to let's say Cairo or Karachi yeah. or any big city you'll find all the stores sponsored by Coca-Cola, right? They put those billboards and the name of the store with the Coca-Cola logo. That's right. exactly what we did with Facebook groups. We told them, we're going to sponsor your cover photo. So you don't okay. need to spam your users about us. You need to write about us, let's say once a month. Okay. But you always need to have us in the cover photo. So we basically okay. rented a space uh, at their group. So it's always constantly top of mind with those people. Like a banner ad. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's much cheaper than, you know, Facebook or Google. It's practically yeah. free money for the, for the group founder. And yeah. it's a great tool to hack your growth, basically. Very interesting. Cool. So uh, you were talking about
0: vetting the freelancers that you guys receive. So mm-hmm. what does that process look
1: like and how do you scale that? Um, that's a good question. So vetting uh, in on itself is a very complicated process because it's subjective Um, and it's a little bit messy, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way we treated it is that we started with enterprise clients. We go and ask the customer what kind of talent do you need? And on the other hand, the investment that we got from the investor, we're actually not always marketing, right? We're building assets. So Mm -hmm. one of the biggest assets that we own right now is test banks. Mm -hmm. So we hired top-notch industry experts in each of those verticals. Like We went... For language services, we went and got someone who is uh, a PhD in English developed for us um, an English test bank. For translation, we got an expert in translation and developed all those test banks. And it's a basic MCQ test, right? If you know the right answer and you worked it out on a piece of paper, the system can automate the result. So no human being needs to look at this test and determine whether or not you succeed. And we constantly rotate those questions. People would post them somewhere and, and basically give other people the answers. And there are now countless libraries and tools uh, on the market for verticals like, let's say, software engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, for other types of talent, uh, what we do is that we do interviews. Um, and what we did is that instead of you know uh, having all this asset-heavy strategy of having hundreds of people working full-time for us to do those interviews. We started to outsource for good freelancers. We know for a fact that they're trusted and their experience is trusted. So if I ever worked with an amazing software architect, or I know very, very good at their job and mm-hmm. they know the languages they write, um, I basically hired them for a few hours uh, every day or every week and they do the vetting for us. So it becomes okay. this kind of network effect. So when we have more freelancers, we're going to know more good, really good freelancers through Our enterprise projects and we'll be able to gradually scale that as we go up but at the moment we're avoiding any kind of manual labor or manual work needed from our operations team to deal with all of this vetting and it's been working great for us to be honest and we give all of our customers this guarantee the freelancer did not deliver as promised or did not meet your expectations in 48 hours you're gonna get an immediate replacement and we're gonna bear the cost so okay. the, the customer wouldn't pay for someone that did not deliver or deliver something that is subpar or not uh, as they expected. Uh, so that's part of your um, promise
0: that uh, if the job doesn't get done, you will find a replacement?
1: In 48 hours, absolutely. Wow, that's, we work with, that's quite we, interesting. Yeah, we work with customers who are currently hiring over 100 freelancers. Right, one Mm -hmm. client, hiring 100 freelancers. So there's definitely gonna be someone in this 100 freelancers who are not a good fit or did not have enough time or did not invest enough effort in the tasks that they're given. Okay, okay. So this policy is basically a blank check. Like there's a problem, we're gonna fix it for you. It's our responsibility to source the talent for you. It's your responsibility as a customer to make it work for you.
0: Okay so um you guys handle all the payments directly and then pass it on to the freelancers at the end
1: absolutely that's uh, actually that's the key use case of a freelance marketplace so <laughs> right. payments is at the core uh, of everything we do the reason why companies come to us is that they don't want to deal with individual payments. imagine if you're hiring 100 freelancers how's that going to look like you know right your balance sheet or your accounting team so what we do is that the customer can either connect their credit cards and we basically withdraw um, an amount of money whenever there is a new milestone that they're planning to do or a new hourly logs on the system. Mm-hmm. And from the other hand, we automate all the payments to freelancers. So even if the client has a net 30 term or it's an enterprise client that does not pay weekly, we mm-hmm. pay the freelancers out of our pockets until the client settled their bills. Okay. So definitely, we manage the entire process. So it's uh, it's basically the client and the freelancer never have to ask about when I'm gonna get the money. Oh, sorry, I just called my accountant. They're gonna dilute this. No, right. you never have
0: to dilute this anymore. So you guys basically provide like an escrow service where absolutely, yes. yeah. So well, you guarantee the payment ways. to the freelancer as well as. Facilitate easy payment to your customers, yeah, employers. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's pretty much it because uh, I worked as a freelancer for Mm -hmm. a portion of my career and it's painful. It's very difficult to deal with clients, um, especially here in the region. I never had any clients outside of the region, but I imagine it's the same issue everywhere. Yeah, Uh, But clients might be lazy, you know, uh, there is a lot of red tape to deal with. Yes. And for customers, wants an invoice, wants a company to build them, instead of, you know, having to hire a freelancer, we act as this mediator. So we have like government clients here in, in the UAE. Right. Uh, to hire a freelancer, you need like a, a minister's signature. You know? <laughs> uh, it's, it's a very difficult process. There's a lot of things that goes into play. So yeah. we're a registered company in the countries where we operate. So we can mm. offer those companies an actual invoice. Uh, you know account for uh, what they did with those freelancers
0: speaking of which I wanted to talk about the legal aspects of this so Mm -hmm. um, as you know we live in UAE where you can't really uh, demand um, money uh, unless you have some kind of visa uh, an employment visa or a company so how do you guys deal with that side of things
1: so right now we're working actually with the UAE government uh, on improving uh, the conditions in which freelancers can uh, live here and and do their work. We're in mm-hmm. very uh, you know the advanced talks about how can we you know improve the legal framework uh, for those people to uh, have a very comfortable uh, life here and they wouldn't have to deal with you know, a lot of legal hoops in order to make this work. So from my perspective, UAE government is the most advanced uh, in the entire region when it comes to uh, freelancers and they embrace embrace it massively. Like I've heard many, many times from the UAE government that they want to become the freelance government of the world, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're a freelancer from, let's say, uh, you know, Australia or, I don't know, Poland or Singapore, You can come here and live and make great income uh, while being a freelancer. And you don't have to pay taxes. Imagine being a freelancer in Europe uh, where you have to pay uh, hundreds of thousands uh, in taxes if you're a high-value freelancer. You can Mm -hmm. actually live here. It's a great country, great city, and they provide you with tons and tons of facilities. um, And you don't pay taxes. And you have a perfectly legal framework to work with. So right. uh, moving forward, we're actually gonna introduce more technical aspects to our product mm-hmm. um, that would facilitate the experience of a registered freelancer in the UAE. Okay. So
0: are all the freelancers on your website registered with a, like a freelance license or something like that in the
1: UAE um, or no. around the
0: region? Okay. Uh,
1: because we have freelancers from across the region, unless the client requires the freelancer to submit their visa, then we okay. do that if they want to collect their money from the uae or a uae bank they need to provide um, a valid uae residency or freelance okay. visa for that
0: okay what is the split uh, that the freelancer receives i see on your site that different freelancers have different hourly wages put on your site yes so uh, how we does actually,
1: this... uh... How does it work, Sonny?. yeah, come on.
0: So how does, uh, what does you read cut of that and, and how much does a freelancer make in case some of our listeners are interested in being freelancers?
1: Yeah, we make, uh, we actually get a flat 20% cut on any transaction. Okay. Um, but starting January, we're going to be introducing a new framework uh, by passing a certain threshold in your income. We're going to drop that to 10%. Okay. But right now, any, like, enterprise job or any uh, opportunities that we found on the platform, um, when you set your pricing, we uh, set expectations with you that the platform is going to take, take 20% cut. Okay. And we don't charge the employer anything, right? So the the prices that are sent to the employer are tolerable, even with the uh, mm-hmm. 20% overhead that we charge uh, to the freelancer transaction. Okay, and
0: I, as an employer, for instance, uh, what does my process look like when I want to hire somebody on Uread?
1: So there are two, there are two different models, right? There is an enterprise model where you can get a customer success manager to help you build your project um, documents, make sure that you have all the requirements, and they help you select the freelancers as well. It's like white glove service. You know, um, that guarantees you that you're going to get top-notch talent. Or, alternatively, you can go on the platform, register an account as an employer, and simply post a project. Once you post a project, we notify all the related talent. So, if you post a project, let's say, saying, I want to build a website um, with, let's say, JavaScript. Or, I want to build a website in WordPress. We notify all the freelancers who are related to this uh, specialty in any way, shape, or form and they need to come and pitch. Um, and when they pitch, they can send you either a sample of their work, uh, and of course they have their portfolios on, on the profile. Uh, they can um, explain to you what, what they can do about this project or how they plan to approach it. Mm-hmm. And they include a price suggestion as well. So it's not a final price because we usually see that the employers and freelancers negotiate before they uh, uh, basically start a contract together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, basically, you are going to get to see how uh, those freelancers are priced based on geography. So you might get, you know, freelancers who are based in the UAE who might be a little bit more expensive than, you know, freelancers from Jordan or Egypt. However, yeah. some clients would require someone to be in the UAE in case they wanted to physically meet, or you know, they wanted understanding of the local market or stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So once you get to a, into an agreement, you start a contract or by you set the payment terms, are you going to get paid? You can either uh, do a project payment, so once you deliver the whole website, I'm going to pay you, let's say, $100, mm-hmm. or you can break it down into milestones, which is the thing that we see the most with majority of our clients, is that once you finish the design, I'll pay you a portion of the money, and then when the development starts, I'll pay another portion. And of course, once the contract starts, we take this money into escrow. Okay. So, if I agreed with you on the first milestone to be, I'm going to design your homepage. Right. So we agreed that the homepage design is going to cost you a hundred dollars. So you can set that as a milestone. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, I take a hundred dollars and I put it in my escrow account. Once the employer is happy with the outcome, we release this money into the freelancer's wallet where they can okay. withdraw it into the bank account or anything like that. So yeah. Okay.
0: Perfect. So. Um can we can we discuss a little bit about your international competitors? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I've used something like Upwork in the past, and it seems like URI does very similar in its foundation to how Upwork works, as opposed to something like Fiverr. Fiverr is it, an e-commerce platform, so it's a, it's a bit different than, than what we offer. Yeah, F- Fiverr sounds more like a gig thing, whereas like yeah, yeah, I would go to Upwork e-commerce. for a bigger project. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. This is how even they describe themselves. They don't call themselves a freelance marketplace. It's an e-commerce platform. You have vendors who are posting products. Mm-hmm. I'll, you can buy a landing page or you can buy a voiceover, you know? Yeah. But they they productize freelancing. Well, we offer opportunity and we offer talent. So it's a bit different from what Fiverr offers.
0: Yeah. So in my past experience, whenever I've tried anything for my business with Fiverr, mm-hmm. uh, usually the quality is very poor. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I tried like SEO services and a bunch of other things through Fiverr. It doesn't really work out. Even though it's cheap, it, It's I don't think it's really worth it. But Upwork, mm-hmm. on the other hand, I did do some software projects and all through that. But again, like the teams that they connected me with were in Pakistan and stuff. And it's a little mm-hmm. difficult to, you know, communicate and, and do all that. So I would definitely use something like you in the future, maybe to connect with software developers in this region. So it's a bit easier to, you know, do those tasks. Mm-hmm. And um, even for most uh, new entrepreneurs, I would definitely suggest use a service like this. Uh, you know Mm -hmm. to build your mvp or something do you do you see a lot of that do you see new entrepreneurs coming and using your services to like build a minimum viable product or a a quick landing page or
1: something absolutely Uh, we're actually seeing all the entrepreneurs in the region they're going this direction no one in the right mind would think you know i need to start a company let me hire a bunch of people right Uh, Mm -hmm. this has never been said for an entrepreneur who wants to raise money or build a great company, uh, because you might fail, you might fail in the first week, you might fail in the first year, so you don't want to take all this major, major risk of hiring people and you know covering all this overhead. Um, so we're seeing three different use cases uh, for marketplace, especially with entrepreneurs. Uh, we're seeing new entrepreneurs starting to you know build a concept from scratch, mm-hmm. and they're using freelancers for everything, not only building an MVP. You know, I can get financial advice or I can build a pitch deck mm-hmm. or I can get someone to be my virtual assistant because I have so many things to deal with. Mm-hmm. And but, like you said, majority of the use cases are related to software, right? Mm-hmm. So if I need to build a website or an app or a concept that I can take to investors, um, instead of going to a dev shop or going to you know hire people full-time with me, I'm just going to experiment with freelancers in building um, a small uh, concept and then if I need to beef it up maybe I can h- start hiring full-timers to take full ownership of this product. Right. Um, and this is exactly what we did with Uread, by the way. Like Uread, the first version is built by freelancers. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't have like back in January, we had zero engineers on the team. Right? Mm-hmm. We brought a bunch of freelancers and they built the first version of it and right now we're rebuilding it again from scratch and this first concept allowed us this much time you know because right. we were able to pass to the market we were able to experiment with a lot of you know growth uh, metrics and at the end of the day we were able to secure funding uh, with this okay. concept. the second use case that we're seeing a lot is experimentation so there are a lot of you know entrepreneurs within companies um, that are highly driven individuals who wants to sell certain concepts or ideas to their managers or you know the, their executive teams um, so we're seeing people who are coming from really really great companies across the region who weren't giving access to um, either talent or budgets in their companies and they want to prove a point they want to either build a small concept to communicate it to their teams or they want to sell their management teams or their board on a particular idea without investing, you know, a lot of money or distracting their team uh, from their current plans. So we're seeing a shift in that manner. Like we're seeing a major e-commerce players here, you know, building concepts quickly mm-hmm. and then taking it to the development team to rebuild it again within their ecosystem. Okay. So it allows you to have this sandbox of experimentation. You can try a lot of ideas. And whatever Mm -hmm. sticks with you and whatever, you know, gets traction even, you can Mm -hmm. start taking it to the next level. Um, The third uh, thing that we're seeing is service providers as well. So companies, for example, in the verticals of translation, creative agencies and even developing companies, their demand fluctuates um, substantially. Right. So. If you open today, a development shop, you might get five projects this month. Next project, no project. Uh, next month, no projects whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So instead of relying on full timers, you would want freelancers because of diversity in experience. So I might need just one DevOps engineer to set up an AWS account for five days and then leave. You know, right. I don't need some full time to do that. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a lot of service providers coming to us and saying, "Can you help us?" you know, build capacity in this particular area for a very limited uh, amount of time because mm-hmm. we don't want to bear this overhead. Right. Um, and I think it's a smart strategy. I worked in many agencies throughout my career and I helped open an office for a global agency uh, mm-hmm. back in Cairo for this particular reason. We had an extremely fluctuating demand and had a lot of pitching to do to clients mm-hmm. and we, don't, we didn't have enough resources. So investing... Um, uh, money and in, in freelancing instead of, you know, hiring two people free time, uh, full, full time, you can actually distribute this budget across the year and have right. this flexibility and, you know, getting the best talent to always help you secure more projects and stuff like that. So,
0: yeah. Cool. Uh, so you spoke about your uh, funding and raising your seed round earlier. So uh, I wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, how, How did you go about that? How long did the fundraising take? And um, how do you find this region when it comes to raising funds?
1: So, okay, we're actually very lucky um, because by the time we started looking for investments, uh, COVID-19 news broke and everyone went to work from home. And we were the perfect opportunity in the perfect place, uh, basically. We had the passion and the drive for freelancing, regardless of what the situation is. Uh, But this actually crisis amplified the need for a key player in in freelancing here in the region. And we're so lucky and fortunate to have people who support this idea. Uh, So for me, myself, because I don't want to you know, tell people, yeah, it's easy, J- just go out there and-, and you'll find the money left, right, and center. I understand mm-hmm. it's a difficult process, but for us it was quite simple because we are literally in the right time, the right place. Um, so we've spoken to WAMDA and we've spoken to ANOVA about the idea uh, back in January, and they were very excited about it and they wanted to help us uh, grow. Um, mm-hmm. And when they basically saw a comparable, saw that there's no opportunity here in the region yet, There is no clear winner. Uh, There isn't any effort in building a marketplace like this. They were sold on the idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we did basically is that we worked with them for the first six months before we even take um, any investment. Mm -hmm. We showed them what a growth trajectory would look like, right? So Mm -hmm. we worked with them closely without even asking, you know, please give us money. We didn't Mm -hmm. do that. In the beginning, we just showed them our process. We explained to them what we're doing exactly month over month, uh, how our numbers look like, what mm-hmm. kind of traction uh, we're building so far, and we're having revenue. That's that's uh, a killer in any investor conversation. Yeah. Uh, like I'm seeing a lot of startups, um, they look at the Kareem story and they look at the Sue story. I'm sure those stories are extremely inspiring, but those are one in thousands, or one in a million, you can call right. it. Um, So when we came to the investors and said, hey, we have clients, we have contracts um, uh, for this much money, and we just need more people to help us get more of those contracts, right? Mm -hmm. We need more access to the region, we need to enter Saudi massively and and talk to all those clients that they want to deal with freelancers. Mm -hmm. And they saw how this was amplified uh, after COVID. We're seeing more and more clients asking for this service gradually. Uh, right. So it was a no-brainer kind of decision. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that should be something here in the region. And we're the only region that does not have a clear winner. When you look at, let's say, uh, Asia or Latin America or the US or Europe or Australia, every certain continent has a clear winner. Like if you look at uh, Southeast Asia and uh, Australia, freelancer.com is killing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at Russia, Poland, uh, East and, and West Europe, actually, you can see that Upwork is doing very well. Same for North America mm-hmm. and Latin America. They have Workana, which is the only Latin, um, sorry, the only uh, platform that has both Spanish and Portuguese. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're doing very well, and you're seeing more niche uh, freelance marketplaces popping up as well. That is highly focused on, let's say, places like San Francisco that has high demand. And mm-hmm. um, like software engineering, like TopTal and, and the likes of, of, of those platforms. Um, yeah. And it's constantly growing. But for the Middle East, we've never had, and even Africa, by the way, mm-hmm. there was never a clear winner in this space. People were relying on Upwork, but Upwork was never in Arabic. Upwork never entered this region or never had any presence or never mm-hmm. had any interest for that part. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. So by providing this localization framework and having uh, the legal support for companies to work comfortably with freelancers, mm-hmm. we're actually solving a very, very big problem for the region. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, another thing you spoke about is uh, at the beginning of this conversation is about Nabish. I think Nabish was the biggest uh, freelance marketplace before you guys... Um, acquired them. Yeah, so, uh, so how did that acquisition take place? And, and what was your thought process behind that?
1: So uh, like I said, early back in, in, uh, in January, before uh, Rakan and I uh, decided to open up to all verticals, we were pretty focused about two things, translation and content. That was our only service that we provided and we did it very, very well with all of our clients. Mm -hmm. Right. But then when we spoke to Wanda and other investors in the region, and even our clients as well, they said that, you know, we need a more comprehensive offering. We need to be able to tap into any vertical or any kind of professional service. So I don't have to go to so many different platforms and places in order to source the talent that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. So it was an obvious strategy for us to expand into more verticals gradually. And at that time, Nubbish was a portfolio company for Wanda. So it made sense to consolidate. It made sense to have one true source and uh, build this bigger force in the region to have the largest database and the largest user base, let's say, uh, of freelancers. And at the same time, they accelerated a lot uh, our ability to open up those verticals. So the moment we just restructured our you know, tech to allow more verticals to be hired, Immediately, mm-hmm. we have the supply base for it. And Nabbish team already did an amazing job at building this equity in the market. they spoken mm-hmm. to hundreds and worked with hundreds and hundreds of clients across the region um, on this. So, we're seeing a very positive outcome from Nabbish customers as well. And they come mm-hmm. to us and say, Hey, I used to work with Nabbish. Do you guys offer more services? And we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we offer this kind of support that never existed as well. You have like a customer success team helping the client source this talent. We're doing vetting. Uh, we're doing a lot of you know uh, acquisition um, mm-hmm. activities to add more and more technologies and, and new skills that never existed before. So nabish was us for us was um, a great source of acceleration, but mm-hmm. a great source of inspiration as well. So we didn't have to go through a lot of things. Like I imagine they went through a lot of cultural moments where people were just right out rejecting working with freelancers. Mm-hmm. So I think the team at Nubbish actually helped push this culture a little bit further to make sure that people are more accepting of the fact that you can actually work with freelancers and have a great outcome. Awesome.
0: So uh, I guess that worked out great for you guys. You were able to build extra verticals uh, and I guess get some talent from Nubbish as well. Absolutely. Great. Okay. Um, Before we wind up this conversation, uh, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about your background in customer acquisition and digital marketing and stuff. Do you have any advice for new founders about getting your first few customers or experimenting with different customer acquisition
1: strategies? What would you suggest? Um, so see, the customer acquisition can be done in, in so many different ways, right? So you can go the traditional route of, uh, you know, going door to door to find your first B2B customers. Mm-hmm. You can always spam people on social media with ads uh, to get them to sign up. But uh, my point of view worked in the creative industry as well, that your messaging and your story can be far more powerful than the tool that used for distribution, because people confuse digital marketing with uh, communication, right? Because digital marketing is just a tool to distribute your communication. So if you invested time and effort and thinking and brought a lot of expertise into building your story and how this story will look like, um, I think this will help you a lot in saving a lot of money because in customer acquisition, it's not about making money, it's about saving money. Because you know for a fact, you know, you're going to invest in building a customer base, getting your first uh, few customers into the door uh, before they can start using their service and then decide whether to stick around or leave. Um, But the issue is is that a lot of founders that come and talk to me about this, even procuring our services or as clients, uh, they tell me, you know what, I want to spend this much, Um, I want to uh, reach those people without really taking care of the messaging itself. Right. Uh, so what we try to focus on is that yes, smart distribution is important. So don't go and splash all your cash on ads. You need to be careful and gradual in the, in the way you approach this. Mm-hmm. And messaging is a far more powerful tool and you need to invest a lot more time and effort into, uh, rather than just focusing on the distribution component or how you're gonna reach uh, those people, right? When it comes to distribution in on itself, mm-hmm. paid ads is only one tool right because mm-hmm. some founders they think if i need customers that equals to you know pay that Pay that is just one way of doing it you have tons and tons of different opportunities you can build a great blog you know you yeah. can build a podcast like the one we're on right now yeah to attract hundreds of people to join your platform um, you can invest in your seo so people in market for your service can find you and you yeah. can tap into facebook groups like we talked earlier So there are hundreds of other tools at your disposal that you can always use to drive this, and and yeah. After the moment you get them on board, you need to work hard on keeping them on board,
0: right? So (laughs) I'd
1: invest in this. I I wouldn't invest a lot of money in just acquisition. I'd focus my money on activation retention because this is how you're going to prove to investors or otherwise to you know invest in your company that people are sticking around and using the service constantly. So there might be something.
0: Cool, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I think people often overlook the conversion factor. Like, you can easily find out how much it might cost you to get a thousand people to your site, but like, how do those thousand people, how many people are actually gonna check out or like pay you for your services? It really depends on what you were talking about your messaging, your user experience. Uh, your 100%. customer journey, all and, this and by the way, this is what this is
1: what media media companies are selling this to you. Like if you go to a media agency right now, and mm. I was part of this industry for the longest time, they will right. sell you CPMS. They will tell you, "Yeah, we'll get you this many clicks, or this many impressions." Yeah. Because at the end of the day, they are a distributor. They'll take your ad and put it in front of people, regardless of what the outcome would be. Sometimes, in front of bots as well, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like ad fraud is a big problem in the industry, right? yeah
0: yeah, and I do find that um, Google especially, is quite an expensive customer acquisition medium, um, yeah. um, content market like we've used a lot of content marketing at a car, uh, we're a car rental marketplace um, mm-hmm. You know, so we found it super effective when we produce like YouTube content about the cars. Like we do a review of the car and then we, you know, plug our company in the middle of the YouTube video or something. It gets organic reach. People are searching for that content anyway. Same with our blog as well. I, I feel that's a, that's been a more effective, it might not drive as much traffic as paid mediums, but it's more, it converts a lot better.
1: Absolutely. And, and those people are in market for your service. They're actively looking to rent a car or buy a car, right? Yeah. So instead of going and, and, you know, advertising to people who are not driving or do not even own a, have a driving license, you yeah. are actually promoting only precisely for the target market who would be interested in your service. Yeah. And for us as a freelance marketplace, we target for a very, very specific type of people. We so don't right. want to go and reach everyone, we want to reach people who are in market, people who would use a service like this.
0: Okay, cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, along your journey of building read, uh, what do you think has been a, a big mistake that you guys
1: made along the way? Um, you know, mistakes uh, are gonna happen. <laughs> you know, with any any new company or any entrepreneurship experience, I think uh, part of the reward of it is that you get to learn a lot from those mistakes. And I think one of the biggest mistake is deciding on uh, how to build the product, right? Because a lot of time we were overwhelmed with looking at global marketplaces. Uh, we looked at platforms like let's say Upwork and fiber and TopTal. And we started comparing ourselves, like how come they have this feature and we don't, or how come, uh, you know, they're better at us at this. Um, and we started pushing ourselves to deliver everything at one time so we can be immediately compared to this marketplace, right? And that proven to be a huge, huge mistake because number one, we didn't listen to the user. We didn't, you know, understand what the Middle Eastern or the Middle East-based, Um, a buyer or seller would need in a service like this Uh, and number two we rushed ourselves so we did not focus on the quality of the feature Mm -hmm. so yes we delivered so many different functions and things uh, in the marketplace but we found ourselves having to rebuild it again because it wasn't really built for the people here it was built based on a comparison with another marketplace um, so that was an expensive mistake for sure because you spend a lot of time and effort doing this. Uh, but right now we actually avoid looking at other marketplaces and compare ourselves. We started okay. listening more to the users, what they want. Uh, like a lot of people said, you know what? I don't. I want to call the freelancer. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. want to, uh, you know, use your video service. I want to use Zoom instead. <laughs> So we started okay. listening to this kind of feedback, and right now we're integrating Zoom into the marketplace, right? Okay. So you'll be able to have a Zoom call inside your chat box uh, instead of having, you know, to text the number in a different way and then try, you know, to go around the system in order to have a call with a freelancer. Right. And we started providing more trust in the process. So a lot of those global marketplaces would hide, like mask the name And you're not allowed to send an email or a number or anything like that. Yeah, that's extremely frustrating. Yeah, it is. So we left it open uh, because if you like the platform and you like the talent on it, you don't want to go outside, right? As a freelancer, you don't want to go through the hassle of getting paid by a bank transfer or PayPal. And as an employer, you want this kind of protection that we provide you in case things did not work out. Uh, yeah. so we left it open for people to transact and if they want to use our payment methods um, and you know use our protection policies They're mm-hmm. welcome on the platform. If they want okay. to go outside. That's their uh, choice basically So, yeah,
0: I think that's a great move one of the very frustrating things about Upwork is trying to Get around their systems still like, Absolutely. you know, try and connect with the freelancer I don't mind paying through Upwork as you said because it gives me protection Mm-hmm. Uh, in the transaction. And it gives the freelancer protection as well so that I don't, if I don't pay or something. But this whole working around their system to like try and just talk to your, the freelancer that you're working with doesn't really make sense in, when you have like very complicated projects that you're working on.
1: Yeah, that's that's the, the hard decisions that you need to make in the beginning. What to let go of. Like imagine yeah. the business, for example, decided you're not allowed to talk to the buyer. It will never work, right? Yeah. So I need it needs to be integrated somehow with my existing ecosystem of things. Like right. how I talk to people, like we're looking at the WhatsApp integration right now. So when yeah. you post a job and someone applies for it, you get a WhatsApp notification. So we're looking into those kinds of things that would make the experience feels natural. Yeah, All those global marketplaces idea. try to create a very broad experience that would fit anyone in any geography. No, we're mm-hmm. actually focusing only on this geography. So that's, that's right. what makes us different.
0: Great. Um, and uh, before we end, any advice for new founders looking to start their, their first company?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I have a lot of advice, actually. for them. <laughs> uh, the first thing that would be is uh, don't try to implement all your ideas at once. Try to limit your scope. Try to say no to new ideas. Uh, try to limit your scope as much as you can. To get to an mvp because i see this i fell into this mistake this was my first time to become you know co-founder in any way i had so many ideas i was you know blossoming with ideas in the (laughs) beginning but it's proven to be difficult to implement so experimentation is important try small uh, experiments and then see how it yields before you invest a lot of time and effort into it Um, and always start small even when you commit to something like when you commit with uh, investors, you don't need to overpromise and under-deliver. You can mm. always walk them through your process, gradually promise things that you can deliver and will deliver in the beginning, um, and always account for black swans. Like, mm. no one expected, you know, uh, COVID to hit, right. uh, and it hit anyway, right? So always account for what's the worst that can happen and plan uh, based on that. Um, and yeah, that, that, and stay strong. Don't give up, you know. <laughs> I promised yeah. you at the beginning of the call that I'd say, something fluffy, but this is actually quite true there were Many, many moments in, in this experience where I said, you know, what did I do? What did I do for myself? You know, I had a great job. And it was very comfortable. Why did I do this? Uh, but actually, when you get to see the outcome of all the hard work that you do, um, it's, it's very, very rewarding. You, know, you forget, you forget about all of that very, very quickly. Great, man. Thank you so
0: much for your advice. I think that's great advice for anybody. I think entrepreneurs often make the mistake of, uh, you know, being overly ambitious with their projects and putting every single feature under the sun. I made that mistake as well. It's probably the worst mistake you can make because it, you know, like increases your costs and your time to market and affects the quality of your product is just a a bad thing to do. So I definitely uh, agree with that go with the minimum viable uh, you know, the minimum set of features that you need to go live. Uh, anyway, Marwan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, it was great talking to you. You read, seems like it's got, uh, uh, a great, uh, ecosystem and, uh, you guys look like you're doing some really great stuff. So looking forward to use
1: you read in the future myself and, awesome. uh, and there is a promo code right now that you can use. Sorry. This is a shameless plug.
0: Uh, no, no. We have, uh, go
1: ahead. I uh, go away. October, October twenty. Promo code is right now on the website. You can try it, and uh, you will get twenty dollars in your wallet, so you can hire your first freelancer practically for free. Uh, nice. So you can give this uh, platform a try. Yeah. Perfect. So uh,
0: we will link. Uh, we will leave a link to uh, you read in the description, along with the promo code uh, for this podcast. So you guys can go check that out. Um, Anything else you wanna say before we end this podcast? Um,
1: I ran out of things to say, man. Just, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, stay safe uh, from COVID. Uh, Working from home is great. Uh, A lot Mm -hmm. of people adapt to it. So we're excited to give this opportunity to everyone across the board.
0: Great. Uh, So this podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. Uh, You can leave us a voice message on Anchor. If you guys have any questions for Marwan, we'd be happy to take a voice message and forward it to him. Maybe uh, if you guys have a question about read or anything about the industry, he's got a digital background as well. So if you guys have questions, we'll pass it along. Uh, And thank you for listening. Make sure you leave us a review. It really helps us uh, spread the word about the podcast and You know, ranks us on all these platforms. So, thank you so much for listening and keep on hustling.